Judges chapter 8, verses 1 to 35. It's got lots of hard words in. Now the Ephraimites asked Gideon, Why have you treated us like this? Why didn't you call us when you went to fight Midian? And they criticised him sharply. But he answered them, What have I accomplished compared to you? Aren't the the gleanings of Ephraim's grapes better than the full grape harvest of Ephesus? God gave Oreb and Zeb, the Midianite leaders, into your hands. What was I able to do compared to you? At this their resentment against him subsided. Gideon and his 300 men, exhausted yet keeping up the pursuit, came to the Jordan and crossed it. He said to the men of Succoth, Give my troops some bread. They are worn out, and I am still pursuing Zeba and Zalmuna, the kings of Midian. But the officials of Zuccoth said, Do you already have the hands of Zeba and Zalmuna in your possession? Why should we give you bread to your troops? Then Gideon replied, Just for that, when the Lord has given Zeba and Zalmuna into my hand, I will tear your flesh with desert thorns and briars. From there he went up to Peniel and made the same request of them. But they answered that the men of Succoth had. So he said to the men of Peniel, When I return in triumph, I will tear down this tower. Now Zeba and Zalmuna were in Karkor with a force of about 15,000 men, all that were left of the armies of the eastern peoples. 120,000 swordsmen had fallen. Gideon went up by the route of the nomads east of Nobah and Jogbeha and fell upon the unsuspecting army. Zeba and Zalmuna, the two kings of Midian, fled but he pursued them and captured them, routing their entire army. Gideon, son of Joash, then returned from the battle by the pass of Heres. He caught a young man of Succoth and questioned him, and the young man wrote down for him the names of the 77 officials of Succoth, the elders of the town. Then Gideon came and said to the men of Succoth, Here are Zeba and Zalmuna, about whom you taunted me by saying, Do you already have the hands of Zeba and Zalmuna in your possession? Why should we give bread to your exhausted men? He took the elders of the town and taught the men of Succoth a lesson by punishing them with desert thorns and briars. He also pulled down the tower of Penel and killed the men of the town. Then he asked Zeba and Zalmuna, What kind of men did you kill at Tabor? Men like you, they answered each one with the bearing of a prince. Gideon replied, Those were my brothers, the sons of my own mother. As surely as the Lord lives, if you had spared their lives, I would not kill you. Turning to Jether, his oldest son, he said, Kill them. But Jether did not draw his sword, because he was only a boy and was afraid. Zeba and Zalmuna said, Come do it yourself. As is the man, so is his strength. So Gideon stepped forward and killed them and took the ornaments off their camels' necks. The Israelites said to Gideon, Rule over us, you, your son and your grandson, because you have saved us out of the hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And he said, I have one request 
that each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. It was the custom of Ishmaelites to wear gold earrings. They answered, we'll be glad to give them. So they spread out a garment and each man threw a ring from his plunder unto it. The weight of the gold rings he asked for came to 1,700 shekels, not counting the ornaments, the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian or the chains that were on their camels' necks. Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town. All Israelite prostituted themselves by worshipping it there and became a snare to Gideon and his family. Thus Midian was subdued before the Israelites and did not raise its head again. During Gideon's lifetime, the land enjoyed peace 40 years. Jeroboam, son of Joash, went back home to live. He had 70 sons of his own, for he had many wives. His concubine, who lived in Shechem, also bore him a son, whom he named Abimelech. Gideon, son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of his father, Joash, an Ophrah of the Abizarites. No sooner had Gideon died than the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals. They set up Baal Berith as their god and did not remember the Lord their God who had rescued them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. They also failed to show kindness to the family of Jeroboam, that is Gideon, for all the good things he had done for them. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Good morning again and thank you Robin for reading for us. I understand your anxiety about reading that passage. Uh, I also was a little bit anxious when James asked me to speak on this passage. It wasn't the kind of jolly passage I thought we'd be looking at today but here we are. Uh, Shall I lead us in prayer as we we get into it? John, bow your heads. Uh, Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to gather like this. Uh, Father, our brother Jay uh, yesterday reminded us that In a world of darkness and despair, uh, your light is the word that we need. So we do pray as we sit under your word uh, this morning that you would direct our paths. Help us to see the glory of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. I mentioned before that I have six children. Uh, The great thing is uh, four of them are teenagers. And uh, that's quite fun because teenagers actually know everything. And so, um, so I get a, fairly, uh, a commentary fairly often about all the things I'm doing wrong. Uh, the old, older teenagers will give me parenting advice on where uh, Karen and I are going wrong with the younger children. Uh, pretty much every they'll tell me how to do my job, uh, which is also very helpful. Uh, and so uh, a part of the difficulty, of course, is they speak a different language. Uh, that is, they, uh, because their whole world revolves around mobile phones, they have all these acronyms that they use to communicate with. Uh, one of them I become quite familiar with. Uh, thank you so much, Charles. He's going to put up on the... Uh, so often, uh, one of my elder, older children will say, Tidiff, Dad. Uh, and for good reason. I have this uh, knack of not knowing where the line is and going too far, particularly with dad jokes actually, uh, I will get on a roll and think I'm hilarious and just kind of push the boundaries a little bit too far until one of these delightful children says, Tidiff dad, Tidiff, you've gone too far, you've, you've overstepped the mark and I will try and pull back sometimes. Uh, I don't know if you can kind of imagine that experience of overreaching 
just going a bit too far with something, a joke or something else. Uh, What we meet this morning in Gideon is a world-famous overreacher. Now, many of you have been here for the last few weeks and you've become familiar with Gideon and in many ways it's been a very good news story. So I just want to kind of recap for those of us who haven't been around. Uh, So go go back to chapter 6 verse 11 with you and we see what happens as God uh, calls out to uh, the young Gideon. So chapter 6 verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak at Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizirite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. Remember, Gideon wasn't your classic alpha male. He wasn't the big-name deliverer who was going to destroy the Midianites. He was terrified, terrified of the Midianites. And we'll find out why in a moment. Uh, But it doesn't get much better. Uh, Remember what, uh, when God said, you're going to kind of deliver Israel from the Midianites, chapter 6, verse 15, look down there. But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least of my family. Like it doesn't fill you with, with confidence, does it? And it continued, he was so scared, not just of the Midianites, but also his own townspeople. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 27, he kind of does all the work at night. He's so insecure that he has to do the kind of, the the fleece thing. Uh, Remember that, the episode of the fleece? And in all of this, God is teaching him an important lesson. God would deliver his people from the Midianites not through the strength of Gideon, but through God's strength. And so in chapter 7, if you flick over there, we saw that, that God do the, did, uh, did that amazing kind of army reduction plan when you take you know, 32,000 uh, soldiers and reduce them down to 300. And God says, oh, that'll be enough, that'll work. And so again and again, Gideon's reminded that in his weakness... Even though he's full of doubt, God will prevail. God will defeat the enemy. And so Gideon just needs to learn to depend on God, to trust his word, which was great until we come to chapter 8. See, in chapter 8, we see these titiff moments over and over again as Gideon overreaches. In chapter 6 and 7, he knew the line. He knew to trust God. He knew to trust the commands of God. Chapter 8, that goes out the window. He sails past the line over and over and over again. Uh, So uh, if you have a look on the screen, you'll see uh, three points if you're jotting down some notes. Uh, He overreaches in warfare, in religion and in family life. You got that one? We'll get there. Oh, the map. Yeah, yeah, maybe the next one. No, that's right, that's right, don't worry. Uh, You can leave the map up if you want, that'd be great. Thanks, Chael. (laughs) Technology. All the young preachers use PowerPoint and so I'm trying to keep up but uh, it's not going so well. Apologies. Overreaching in warfare, first of all. So by the end of chapter 7, you remember that Gideon's army of 300 had done this incredible job. Uh, Then they've joined up with the men of Ephraim and had driven the Midianites across the Jordan, which is terrific. That was brilliant. Uh, God's people have conquered their enemies, driven them out of the promised land because the river Jordan was the boundary. 
That was the goal. That's where they had to get to. Because anything to the east of the Jordan isn't of interest to them. It doesn't matter. That's not their problem. But to a man of overreach, there is an opportunity. Even though his troops are exhausted, as we see at the beginning of chapter 8, even though it's completely against God's instructions, he pushes them on. We haven't done enough. And so he chases them across the Jordan River to to Succoth, first of all. And he wants their help, you see there in verse 5. But the men of Succoth wouldn't help. Even though they're brothers from Israel, they don't help straight away. Like, what's what's their problem? Look down there at verse 6. The officials of Succoth said, Do you already have the hands of Zebah and Zalmunna in your possession? Why should we give bread to your troops? Do do you hear the delicacy of the situation? We're just not sure that we can trust you to do the job. You're chasing ferociously after these Midianite kings, but what if it goes pear-shaped? It'll blow back on us because we live in their territory. They're surrounded by Midianites. To offer assistance to Gideon could easily backfire on them. Now, to an overreaching Tidoth man like Gideon, he's not all that pleased. Look at what he does in verse 7. Just for that, when the Lord's given Zebah and Zalmona into my hand, I will tear your flesh with desert thorns and briars. Doesn't sound friendly, does it really? This overreach continues. He he keeps going, pushing his exhausted troops into another unnecessary conflict. And so verse 8, we meet him down there uh, going to uh, Peniel with the same result. They don't offer assistance. And so he says, verse 9, when I return in triumph, I will tear down this tower. And this was no vain threat. Verse 12, you see down there, he does indeed capture the kings of Midian. And then he does what he said he would do. Verse 16, the desert thorns and briars come out against the elders of Succoth. Verse 17, he comes to Peniel and kills the men of the town. Notice that. It wasn't just the tower that got knocked down. He killed the men of that town. Which when you think about it for a second is just awful. These are his own people. This is the first time it's ever happened that a judge would take such extreme action. Why this overreach? Why this extreme kind of work and activity? Well, in the next few verses we find out why. We kind of get the backstory of Gideon's life. So if you look down at verse 18, you'll see that introduced. He asked the kings of Midian what they were doing at Tabor. We go, Tabor? Why are we talking about Tabor? Well, that's near Gideon's hometown. What were you doing at Tabor all those years ago? And they confessed to murdering his own brothers, men like you. That's what's going on. This is all about revenge. This is not about seeking God's glory. This is not about following God's commands. This is about chasing through taking revenge on what these people had done to his own family. 
And so Gideon, with all his might, takes revenge. Which to his people is glorious, actually. Suddenly they've got someone they can stand behind. Suddenly they've got someone who looks like the kings of the nations. So verse 22, look down there. Rule over us, you, your son and your grandson, because you saved us. Gideon, you're the man. You saved us. Hang on. They'd forgotten. They'd forgotten the whole lesson. The whole point of reducing the army to 300 was so that everyone would know that God is the one who delivers his people. So how will Gideon respond? Verse 23, have a look there. I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. You know, in Sunday school, if you ask uh, one of the kids a question, the best thing they can say is God, Jesus or the Bible because I guarantee that will be the answer. Uh, That's kind of what Gideon's doing here. He knows the right answer. And so with his lips he says, I will not be your king. But everything else that he does shows that's exactly what he wants. And so you see that with the next point as we come to point two, overreach in religion. See, while Gideon is saying, no, 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 in one sense, in the next breath, look at what he asks. Verse 24. He said, look, um, if you can get me some gold, that would be excellent. Uh, That would be really helpful. And it comes from their gold rings, uh, look down there, from their ornaments, from their garments, um, even from the bling on the camel's necks. It's kind of this early version of Pimp My Ride with your camel. Um, But why? Like, what's he doing? Verse 27, Gideon made the gold into an ephod which he placed at Ophrah, his town. Now, there we go. We got the the ephod there, mate. There it is. Uh, Lovely, isn't it, really? And I think it's reasonable to say, James, this is a a religious, religious garment. Why is this so bad that he makes this garment? I mean, this is what people wore to help them worship God, to help remind them of God's power and strength. No, no, this is Gideon the overreacher. And look at the consequences. The second half of verse 27, all Israel prostituted themselves by worshipping it there and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. There's a problem for Israel. There's a problem for Gideon. This ephod became the focus of their worship. It's another golden calf moment. They've turned away from worshipping the Creator and start worshipping a created thing. Again, it's overreach. They've gone beyond where they should have gone. Gone beyond the territory that God had given them and gone beyond right worship of the God they trusted. Now, in one sense, it's not... It's not gone pear-shaped yet. If you look in verse 28, look down there, the old enemy, the Midianites, had been subdued and there was peace in the land. We've seen that phrase before. But this is the last time we will read that. This is the last time there will be peace in the land. Such has been the overreach of Gideon. There will be terrible ongoing consequences for his people. 
this peace would not last. Israel would not recover. Come to the third aspect of overreach then, uh, overreach in Gideon's family life. Remember how we heard the people ask him to be king and with one breath he said, yes, 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 but everything else said, no, no, no. Look at what happens in his family life. See, not content to follow God's ways, he acts exactly like the God of the nations, the, the kings of the nations, sorry. What do the kings of the nations do? Well, they accumulated wives, they had many children, they had concubines, they had harems and that's exactly what Gideon does. And one concubine gave him a son and the name of the boy, end of verse 31, Abimelech. Now, Jay and I at uh, Theological College were not great Hebrew scholars. That's, uh, I think that's fair to say, Jay. Um, but we knew enough to be dangerous and that's what you want in life, just a little bit of knowledge so you can be dangerous. I'm dangerous enough to know that uh, the word Melech means king. So here is Gideon saying, I don't want to be king but I'm going to name my kid son of the king. Bit strange, isn't it? No, no, I don't want to be king. Sounds like Simba in you know, Lion King. I don't want to be king. I'm just going to call my son son of a king. There's an old saying, if it looks like a duck, swims like a duck and quacks like a duck, chances are it's a duck. Gideon's pretense is not fooling well, maybe it's fooling a lot of people, but it's not fooling God. He's a fraud. Over and over again, he steps over the line. Goes beyond what God had said. And his program of overreach is now complete. I'm not sure if you've uh, looked at it, but in, uh, in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 17, God outlines what, uh, what to look for in a king. He kind of gives a job description of a king. Have we got that? Um, so uh, uh, Deuteronomy 17 verse 16, the king moreover must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. Uh, Gideon should not have many horses, maybe, maybe like the pimp my ride camels don't count. Um, He shouldn't have many wives, oh that's a shame. He shouldn't accumulate much silver and gold, well he hasn't got that right. You see the overreach, you see the consequences of no more shalom, no more peace in the land. The cycle that you've seen in Judges so far will now just get worse in its consequence. But what, what, what do we do with this? What do we do with this, this story of overreach? What, what does it possibly have to do with us? I think there is a, a warning that we need to hear and this is not easy for us. But we do need to be real about sin. We do need to be honest about our failures. We do actually need to fess up to the temptations, particularly of pride. And not just for those who are leaders, but certainly and particularly for those of us who are leaders. Uh, This weekend we have been thinking a little bit about Christian leadership what it means to be a Christian leader. Here's the thing, here's the reminder here. 
God's leaders are people under authority. We are under shepherds of a glorious king. Whether it's your leaders here, Jay or James, or anyone else called James actually, uh, your Bible study group leaders, your youth group leaders, the leaders out with kids' church, they don't get to make up the rules. And they will face the temptation of pride and overreach. It's easy in in, uh, judges to kind of point to the judges and and make fun of them. It's easy to point to Gideon here and say, what a turkey, what an absolute goose. All these examples of overreach. But imagine, and this is slightly heretical, (laughs) imagine that God had selected aspects of your life and written three chapters about you to make the point about overreach. It's an awful thought, isn't it? What would he select? What would he choose to remind people of the dangers of overreach? See, if we're honest, Gideon is not the only inconsistent leader. Gideon's not the only leader who could illustrate the problem of pride or temptation or overreach. You can think of times where you started so well, where you had the best of intentions, but as things start to go well, well, obviously I'm doing something right here. Obviously this is me. And it quickly becomes about my glory, my honour, There's a real warning we need to hear here, friends. But more than that, there's an incredible encouragement here. Do you see how gracious God is? That irrespective of the mess we've made of life, whether it's overreach or temptation or the failure of sin in our life, Jesus still comes He lives and dies to pay the penalty for all our sins. The question is, how do we keep that reality, the gracious love of God, at the forefront of our minds? How do we do that? How do we keep seeing Jesus and turning away from overreach? Well, think again about Judges 8. What's missing? What's not there in that chapter as you look through it? There's no mention of God. There's no command of God. Gideon's not calling on the word of God at any point. It's Gideon doing what Gideon wants, when he wants and how he wants. He's forgotten who God is and leaves God behind. The danger for us is that we will do the same. We will forget the word that we know. We will forget the word of grace, the the word of truth, the word that guides us.
and say things, I don't know, I've been in church for a while, I know what's going on, I can take it from here. But you see the problem. If we come along, whether it's to Bible study group or church or anything else, thinking that we know what will be said, thinking that we're safe, that our hearts are pure, that we don't need to be reminded of something that is true and right and wonderful, friends, we are in dangerous territory. Uh, we were at Sumner yesterday afternoon. It was a beautiful afternoon and uh, I got a bit sunburnt, as you can see. Uh, the Word of God needs to be like sunscreen in summer. You apply, you reapply every time you go outside. For as long as the sun is shining, you put on the sunscreen. The Word of God is what ensures that we will keep being shaped, keep being directed by the grace of God. Uh, when I was growing up, I'll say in the 80s, but that's slightly generous, um, there was a significant number of uh, road deaths uh, in Australia and so uh, the marketers kind of went to town on this and in one uh, field uh, there was a uh, beverage that came out. It was called Clayton's. I'm not sure if you have it here. Uh, and uh, does anyone remember the tagline? The drink you have when you're not having a drink. Brilliant, you know, marketers are geniuses. Uh, the drink you have when you're not having a drink. I, I think as I look at Gideon, he's the king you have when you're not having a king. He's no, he's no better than a, a Clayton's king, which is such a contrast to the Lord Jesus who from the very beginning of his ministry sits under the word of God. No sooner as he was baptised, as he goes into the wilderness, as he's put to the test time and time again, for each of the tests he calls on the word of God. He stands with the word of God. And at the very end, as he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, about to be killed for the sins of his people, he submits himself. He submits himself to the Father. Not my will, but yours. No overreach, no personal glory, not my will, but yours be done this king who reigns with justice, this king who reigns with grace and compassion, this king of forgiveness, this king of incredible patience with people like us who mess up. He doesn't lord it over us. It's not like that ephod, that kind of focus of worship. No, Jesus is the king we need. And so uh, it's worth us coming to uh, the writer of Hebrews. Have we got that passage from Hebrews 1? Hebrews 12, sorry. Friends, why don't we say this together? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders 
and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Why don't you bow your heads?